What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Welcome. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. No, no. Thanks for like, first off, thanks to Jorge yeah. for, you know, connecting us. But uh, I'm really excited about this, man. It's, it's not too, I don't know any um, Indian nationals gotcha. personally. Yeah. And so, especially here in, in Nashville, right? Sure. And so I'm really interested in learning and exploring like your journey, living in the United States. Yeah. Um, your nationality and how that plays a part of the experience you've had. Yeah. And so, man, let's get right into it. Can you just, you know, introduce yourself to us? Sure. Uh, let us know kind of what you do, your background, and we'll dive right into it after that. Yeah. So my name is Pratik Dash. Um, I am a native Tennessean since I was eight years old. Like, proud to be South Asian. I tell people that I put the South in South Asian, like <laughs> love my chicken and waffles and also love my biryani. You know what I'm saying? Like, so kind of put it all together. Um, but yeah, so my family, um, you know, my, my mom and dad immigrated from India um, to the United States in the 80s. My dad was a mechanical engineer um, and he went to college in New York at Stony Brook University. And once he got his engineering degree, he was the guy that they would like send around to different power plants across the country to work on various power plants. Um, and so, you know, he lived in New York, then he moved to Washington State, went all this, you know, all over the country. And then during that time, you know, he got to marriage age and he had an arranged marriage with my mom, oh. who was in India. And so went back, uh, had a quick quick vacation and uh, got a wife in the process uh, and came back to the U.S. And that's when they um, they landed in Texas and Austin, where my mom went to UT Austin and became an electrical engineer. Um, and then they continued to work on power plants across the country. And they ended up in the Watts Fire Power Plant in, uh, in Tennessee. And um, my dad had moved a lot. And then they finally had me. And... Um, it was really hard. They moved from Knoxville to Chattanooga and then finally coming to Nashville. And keep in mind, like, this is all in like a six year span. So like every two years, it's just pick up and move. And my dad was like, I just can't keep doing this. And so he quit his engineering job and he bought a uh, liquor store and a gas station in Lewisburg, Tennessee, in like Marshall County. Um, and he kind of dropped everything and started his own business. And my mom went in to help him. Um, but they bought a house in Franklin, Tennessee. Okay. And the reason why is because they heard that the education system was really good there, things like that. So my parents would drive me to school and then drive from Franklin to Lewisburg every day. So basically going from the richest county in Tennessee to the poorest county <laughs> in Tennessee every single day. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, where my sort of journey sort of began. Um, so for me, you know, I, I went to school in Franklin. I was I like to say that my school was black, white and me like there's <laughs> there's nobody else that looked like me uh, back in back in the 90s and, right. and 2000s. It was it was just me. Um, and so we I went to I went to school and dealt with a lot of 
identity crisis. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I, uh, you know, my, my name in, in, uh, my native language is Pratik, but I told everyone to just call me product because I I like whitened my name so I could like, yeah, avoid some of the bullying and things like that. Kids couldn't say it. Teachers couldn't say it. Um, and so I, I went by basically a different name till my senior year of high school. Wow. And, um, and so let's do it. Let's, let's, right, let's, yeah, yeah. No, go no, ahead and you, rewind no, it. No, let's rewind it. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. And so did your parents know or about this type of bullying, about this type of discrimination? Yeah. And could, could they pre- prepare you for it? Um, maybe they even experienced it a little bit or a lot of bit themselves. Yeah. So I, I think a good story to like kind of bring that all together was, you know, in eighth grade for me was when 9-11 happened. Okay. So 9-11 happens. And I remember that my school is doing some charity event to get money for the victims families. And I like run home. I get $20 from my mom and dad. I asked for 10. They gave me 20, which is like, you know, when you're 14. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, right? I remember just like touching my pocket every every 10 minutes, making sure it's still there. It was like, I think if there's every wrinkle in the bill that possibly could be was in that bill, but I made sure that I had it and I was supposed to donate at lunch. And I remember I went into the cafeteria, walked up to the parents volunteer and I pulled out that $20 bill. I like had it balled up in my fist, it was covered in sweat. And I like reached out and get and wanted to hand it to her. And, uh, and she said to me, sweetie, we don't take money from terrorists. Whoa. And just push my, push my hand away and didn't take my money. A, 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 a teacher, a volunteer, a parent a volunteer, parent, a parent volunteer, just refused to take my money. So a classmate's parent, Clink, a classmate's mom, classmate's mom, and just would not take it. I stood there. I remember I probably stood there for like a minute. It felt like a year. Like it was probably the slowest. Like I felt like time froze. I think it was my first, like I had heard some like racist things behind my back but this is the first like form of overt racism towards me just directly in my life and I just took that money put it back in my pocket and like walked away I'm sure other kids heard what she said right um you know I think that that really spurred a lot of like you know oh you're a terrorist you don't belong here a lot of that stuff um and I remember I went home and I never told my parents and I didn't because even when I was 14, 15, I think a lot of immigrant kids think about this, uh, especially second generation, but like I was an only child. I wasn't going to tell my parents that the sacrifice they made to give up everything to come to this country so I could have a better life was leading to like a bunch of like, racism towards me in school like I didn't want them to know that um so I never I didn't tell them I'm sure they caught on pretty quickly right who I did tell though was my grandfather so my grandfather's in India um I told him he's a writer in India and he gave me a an idea he was like why don't you write to the newspaper and like let them know like why don't you tell the media right 
And I wrote an op-ed at the age of 14. <laughs> and Who knew what an op-ed was? I know. No one knew what it was. Nothing. I, I wrote an op-ed in the Williamson AM, and I think it was titled, like, Is This Land Really Free? Or something like that. Which, like, for 14-year-old me, like, right. come on now. Like, right. I was really proud of myself. <laughs> but I sent it in, and it got published, and there was a ton of support for me. Like suddenly there's a lot of support. I don't exactly know what happened to that parent. I never will. I don't think, but I remember the principal would come in every day and, and my, my principal at the time was black. So I think she understood just being a person of color, what I was kind of going through, but she would go through all the, all the envelopes that were mailed my way. Let me read all the supportive ones. And I'm pretty sure if there were any hate mail, she just threw it away or like, wouldn't tell me. But, like, that's when I learned, like, I kind of got a taste of, like, shaking things up. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, yeah, but for my parents and for the bullying and stuff, right. I never said anything to them. Man, isn't it amazing, though, um, how once a media outlet kind of gets a hold of something like that and they put it out there, like, people, you know, um, specifically maybe white people tend to, like, want to sympathize and sure. kind of be there. And it, it and and it makes me question a lot of times like like how sincere a lot of times is that or you just trying to make sure you be on the right side so you can have so you can say, yeah, you know, I supported it. I wrote a letter. Yeah. I, I would I you know um Well the same kids that were bullying me would then like after that op ed they like laminated it and got brought it to me. Like I remember there was a girl who like kind of treated me pretty poorly and right. she like laminated. She's like, I want you to have this, whatever, which is like, right. I mean, she's 14, yeah, kids, right? Kids, kids are okay. Yeah, yeah. But we see it with adults too, right? right? Those same right. people, those same people are at the Williamson County school board meetings right now talking about masks, right? Like right. anti-maskers, I, anti-maskers. I see them, <laughs> right. You know, like they'll never admit that they laminated that story for me right. or they'll have some sort of justification in their mind, you know, that, Wow, man. And and I'm trying to think when when 9-11 happened, I was in the sixth grade. Mm. Yeah, I was in the sixth sixth grade, and I didn't I didn't have a clue what was going. On. I just I remember remember they had the TVs. They rolled. They used to roll. Right. TVs yeah, out, that's right? what happened to us. Yeah, yeah. they rolled, they rolled it, it out. And like, I think we were just because we was in the sixth grade, we couldn't analyze and conceptualize what was going on or, right. see, or the significance of it. We just seeing like oh an explosion like, right okay but we're not understanding like oh this is a like a, a terrorist attack like a, right. a like people are bombing like your homeland your country and so like I didn't I don't even remember thinking much of it like then until maybe years later maybe yeah well I tell people all the time that like September 11th was a devastating day and I feel like I tell folks like I was. I like went to sleep an American on September 11th and then woke up as an outsider on September 12th. Like wow. everyone suddenly would look at me different, right. like would wonder who where I was. And I think September 11th is an obvious tragedy. People talk about all the time, like right. remember 9-11, right. never forget, whatever. But people like think about the firefighters and the, you know, the cops and all those folks and, right. and everyone who, all the victims, people don't think about all the brown kids that got discriminated after that day or how our nation was separated and like sure we said the word unity but unity did not include a large brown population that lived in this country right right and so 
for for you, what were some of the like were the slurs used against you or that you heard? Like, you know, we know like slurs for black folks, right? Sure, <laughs> like, sure. like them like we but like for for an Indian person. Right. Like like what what is that what what are those? So Sand N-word is a big one. That okay. was said a lot. Um, terrorist became like a slur, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, or like, you know, Taliban, right? Like, just like you're part of it. A lot of people would ask me, like, do you know Osama bin Laden? And I would have to be like, no, do you? Like, do you, you know, yes. like a lot of those kind of questions. Um, and so I think, yeah, those are the three. And this is through high school, middle school, high school? Mid- middle school and high school. school. Like a pretty brutal age for 9-11 yeah. to have. Like if it's elementary school, these kids don't understand. Right. You'll be all right. But uh, eighth grade is a is a tough time. I already had like red and black braces. I look like I had a checkerboard <laughs> in my mouth. Now they're like, you know, now I got this on top of that, you right. know. So, um, yeah. Did you have like, so you, because you, you know, you didn't talk to your parents about it much, really. Um, did you have, I guess, like support, community support, like a friends that that? Yeah, so I I had other Indian friends. So there's okay. a there's a um, there's a Ganesh temple in in Nashville. So okay. Ganesh is a Hindu god, um, and uh, so there's a temple there that we would go every Sunday. But the majority of those families lived in Nashville, okay. right? Nashville is more progressive. Right. There's a lot of other Indian kids in, you know, most of my friends went to MLK high school, right? It's a diverse school, you know? So like those kids didn't face the same sort of things that I think I face. So right. people would have the same reactions that you had. They're like, whoa, that happened. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, it didn't, doesn't, it's not happening to you. <laughs> and I'm an only child. So like right. my, if any parents, immigrant parents are watching this, my, I have a huge recommendation of if you are living in like a rural area and you know that like your child is going to be the only person that looks like you or one of the few have two kids, like right. have a brother <laughs> or sister so that they can like right. relate to. Cause I was an only child. I didn't want to tell my parents. Right. Um, and I wish I had like a brother or sister that I could just like talk to, right. but I really didn't. And it put me in a very like, uh, weird kind of, I, I definitely like dealt with some depression and some, right. some other stuff, um, during that time. Um, and I think people who know me now would tell you that I'm a very talkative person, super right. outgoing. Right. Um, and, and I think back then, like I really, I was really like kind of shut down. Like I didn't really want to yeah. talk to too many people. I was scared to talk to people. Right. right. Like, yeah. and I got in a lot of fights and things like that. I'm not a fighter. Look at me. Like, I don't go to the gym or anything, you know? Like, hey, man. Hey, so. It'd be, it be, the, be those ones, too. Like, <laughs> That's right. Don't, don't mess with it's them. It right. might, might be, a, you know, a, a sheep in wolves clothing, oh, you know? Man, I wish. I'm, I'm doughy all around, inside and outside. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I remember I used to get beat up at school, and I'd come home, and my mom would be like, why'd you get in the fight? And I would just be like, I didn't like the kid. And I wouldn't explain it. Right, you know? right. Um, and I think I luckily had some good teachers who kind of understood what I was going through. And uh, so I ended up, you know, probably 10th or 11th grade was when I started to start talking to folks about it. But I think it took like two or three years to really process. Well, just even, just even the fact that you had to alter your name, yeah. you know, and just for, you know, 
pre, your middle school that, that's just even having to do it and like understanding why like, right like I need people just I just have to do it in order for me to just kind of fit in right or I would even joke with I would say the same like I would try and catch my classmates before they could say racist stuff about me, I would say it about myself, right? So I'd be like, oh yeah, haha, I'm a terrorist. And then people would laugh and I'd be like, well, at least I can dictate the self-deprecation versus someone just coming at me, right? Right. And it was just like a huge identity crisis for me. It like really messed with my head. I It's messing with me right now. I know, well, I was like like, scared of my culture. I didn't want to be near it. So mom and dad would go to temple and I'd be like, I don't want to go, right? right. Because I was trying to be as white as possible so I could fit in. Right. Um and then, you know, college happened and then I my my uh my grandfather got sick. And so I decided I would go to India to take care of him. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got to hit the reset button and just like retry and everything and you know i I told you this um before walking in but you know when i went to india i kind of knew the language right i thought i'd walk in and like fit in seamlessly and right i mean people knew i was american from the minute (laughs) i stepped off the plane you know Uh, and um but i think that i found a new i was supposed to stay there for like six months to a year Mm -hmm. i stayed for five um and it was just, I mean, there was something about it that I just, I loved every second of it. And I, um, I just kind of found myself there. I found my confidence. I found, you know, what I really value, my right. ethics. I found, a, I found dignity, a lot of right? my dignity. Cool. Yeah. I really yeah. found my dignity there. Um, but I still, I still sort of felt like an outsider, right? right. I was still... I was always the Indian kid in America, right. and then I go to India, and I'm the American kid in India. Right. Um, and I I came back home, and you know at the time I started dating a a girl um, who was interning for Turk, the Tennessee Immigrant and Refugee Rights Coalition. I had gone to school for engineering, right? I parents was, engineers. Parents so are engineers. I was going to be an engineer, you know, whatever, and. Um, but she invited me to a Turk convention in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the convention is they bring all their members from across the state. She invited me. I did not care about immigrant rights. I just wanted to make out with a girl <laughs> at the end of this event. I just wanted to impress her. And then we make out and right. it was, you know, whatever. Right. And I walked into that convention and my whole world changed. I, I thought I dealt with racism and mm-hmm. I did not to minimize my experiences. Right. But I learned what systemic racism was, mm-hmm. how undocumented communities, what they go through, what black right. immigrants go through, what right. black people go through. And I realized that I wasn't alone. Right. Like that was the moment that I said, I realized that there are other people dealing with forms of oppression mm-hmm. that I have seen that we may not be able to fight by ourselves, but right. collectively right. we might be able to make some change and I just knew that this is where I wanted to be. And a few months later, a job opened up and I took it. Right. And uh, yeah, I've been there since 2015. I've been working there for six years. And the girlfriend who I did at the time is now my wife. So <laughs> I think out. I made the most <laughs> of that convention. Win-win situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Win-win. Absolutely. Man, you bring up a good point, man. Um, 
that I think that because unless we involved intentionally in other communities, we we it's easy for us to think about only what we go through right. or how we're oppressed, right? And that goes across anybody, right? right? Anybody, I'm pretty sure somebody feels some type of way about something, rightfully so. Um, but you don't, you really, it's levels, right? Right. <laughs> right. It's levels. Right. Um, it's levels to, to poverty. It's levels to being oppressed. It's just levels. And not to minimize anybody, but it's like, it's like the, especially in this country, the facts are the facts of like, okay, when we talk about being oppressed and discriminated against, we, we, a lot of times we talk about black and brown people right. specifically. Right? right. But, you know, like for me, it's like, man, I like when you, you hear about the Indian community, like, oh shit, I didn't, you know, let me, have I, have I been discriminatory to, towards that community? Sure. Right. Or, you know, you hear about the, uh, we, we like to, you know, um, we tend to group all Asians together and just say Asians, but you know, like, damn, what, what, what I think about the Chinese or the Vietnamese or. It's just, completely we, different. Yeah. Yeah, it's completely but, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, and so you, if you think about it, you be intentional about it, you really start to be able to reflect. Or maybe some like some implicit biases right. that you might have had and right. never known, but at least you find out and, right. least, and you can work on it, man. So that's like, and that's what this is about, man. Getting introduced to like the Indian culture, right? You know, uh, being American Indian, Indian American, and right. like that. What that is because many people don't know what that experience is like, and having that identity crisis, man. And, yeah. And now, hopefully, they can learn and reflect. Like, oh, damn, maybe. Oh, did I did I did I offend somebody and, and and didn't know it and or am I or am I unintentionally making people conform right so they can be comfortable and just make it through that day you know yeah I mean I think that some of the obvious ones which may not seem so obvious though like like people love um, imitating Apu from The Simpsons right yeah and people always forget that like Apu was it was a white dude who did the Indian accent for a poo. Right. Right. And so like, everyone's always like, Oh, thank you. Come again. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's funny to you because you think that that's a Brown right. dude who's making that thing. Right. There's a, there's a little documentary that I think Hari Kondabalu put together about a poo. And mm. it is, I highly recommend you watch it, but right. like that really breaks down a lot of, um, you know, how South Asians felt about it. I also right. think we're seeing more South Asians in um, media and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So that's helping right. um, quite a bit. But I think the Indian experience in the in the South is so interesting. Um, I talk about like a racial ladder, right? Where mm -hmm. white people are at the top of this ladder. Right. And black people are at the bottom. And, um, you know, I think that Asian community members uh, in general have kind of made it to this second rung. They're like not quite white, right. but like they're trying to be. They're the model minority. They've done things to do to stand up. They're like doctors in right. the community, right? They're they're engineers. They're doing computer science stuff. So like they're like, you know, right. respectable. They've gotten out of the eye of like oppression in their eyes. Um, and so whenever we talk about knocking over the racial ladder, a lot of Indian and Asian community members get very freaked out by that because they're like, we worked so hard to get to this second rung. Right. Like we don't want to sacrifice or throw that all away. Right. So that's one. The other thing, uh, especially about Indian communities in Tennessee is that, um, so first off, like Latinx communities obviously have the highest undocumented population in Tennessee, Indian second. 
Wow. So there's a lot of Indian community members that are undocumented in in this state that come on a tourist visa or something like that, and then they overstay. Um, or many of them come on many. We've heard many stories where people come on work visas, and then because of COVID, they just get laid off. Right. And they've like moved their whole family here, right? And now like they're expected to, you know, go back to India or something. Right. But the problem is that culturally, like if you go back to India, like you're deemed a failure in your families or things like that for for certain community members. Or they've developed a better life. They realize the schools are better. That you know the the work is better, and so they want to stay. So the other thing that I would mention about the Indian community. So, like I mentioned, large undocumented population in um, in in Tennessee. So, if you go to like a New York, right? You go to New York. There's also like there's there's super rich Indians. Right. There's undocumented Indians, but there's a big working class Indian community in New York. The best way to explain it is like if you're jumping in a cab in New York, you get anybody, right? Right. You could get an Indian guy. You could get a African dude. You could get a white guy. Whatever, right? Right. In Tennessee, there's the doctors, lawyers, engineers, like those folks, and then there's the undocumented folks. Mm. But there's no working class to like link between right. the two, so. People think that the Indian community is like super united, but the reality is that it's more of a classist issue Mm. than it is a, um, a racial issue. And so I think that a lot of groups out there, uh, including India Association of Nashville, API Middle Tennessee, um, you know, a lot of the, the Ganesh temple itself has been doing a really good job of trying to link these communities together Mm -hmm. so that they can support each other. Um, And so the Juggernaut Society of America is another one. And so I think that, you know, that's been um, sort of the building this bridge Mm -hmm. where there's no working class to kind of bring that together has been um, a really interesting journey. Do do you see in many... um, Many people from the Indian community conceptualize themselves as white. So, yes. Um, I think that there's a lot of, I I wouldn't say many, right? I think that they know how to code switch properly, right? So it's like they know how, when to, uh, there's a lot of community members that like will put on the nice clothes and do right. the dances and things like that. But then they know how to integrate themselves into white communities as well. Right. Um, and so they're, they, and I did this, they lived in two worlds, right? Right. There was like the white world. Right. I think a lot of second generation do this. They live in this like white world mm-hmm. where they try and be white. Right. And then when they go to temple, they, become the Indian versions of themselves, right? Right. And so that's why I went by product in, you know, Franklin and whatever, like these schools that I was in. And then I go to Temple and say, oh yeah, I'm Pratik. Like I literally had two identities that I was, and and it messes with your head, right? Like it really does. And I think a lot of, a lot of Indian community members go through that. My my parents even, my, my dad's name is Prabir Kumar Dash. And he just told all the white folks, he's like, just call me PK. Even our neighbors call him PK because it's just, he's right. like, initials are easier. 
No one else calls him PK right. except for white folks, but he has made it easier <laughs> right. for them so that they can right. live in their white world without him being a disturbance. How how does and just because I just don't know how does the Indian community combat see racism or white supremacy? Is it something that's it's acknowledged that's talked about? Nah, I don't. I don't. I think it is now. It's starting to be well, new generation. New generations. I think it's starting to be. Um, I I have a mentor. Her name is Deepa Iyer. Lived in Nashville quite a bit. Had a, a lot of Vanderbilt ties and stuff. And I remember she used to say back in back in her day, she would do anything and everything just to get the Indian temple to just like think about this. Right. And they would push her away every time, not want to rock the boat. So I think like they understand it's happening, but Indian communities right now are not the center of oppression. Right. Muslim communities are. I think that Latinx communities are. And Indian communities are thinking if we rock the boat too much, like they might put us in that group and like, Mm. you know, so it's very much like head in the sand, don't mess with anything and, you know, keep, keep our, keep ourselves underground so that the oppression doesn't get pointed at us. But I think that Indian community members are starting to realize that, you know, when people look at me on the street, they don't know if I'm Muslim or Hindu or what, right? Right. Like they're just going to oppress me because, you know, whatever. And so when we, I think pretty recently there was a vandalism of the Greenwich temple and that's when they started realizing like, okay, right. It's, it doesn't matter, you know, right. what we, what our faith is. It doesn't matter what right. is. So I think there's some of that. I also think that the Indian community does have some like deep Islamophobia uh, in them that, you know, is they're trying to root out just because of the war between Pakistan and India right. over Kashmir for so long. Right. Um, and so I think that, that's been a piece that, you know, the community in Nashville has been really working on to um, to to get better at and right. to, to be more inclusive of those communities. But I remember when I started working at Turk, I would go to mosques and register people to vote. And my community was so concerned for me. They were like, are you going to be OK with being amongst all those Muslims? And I was like, yeah, it's going to be all right. right. You know, I even had some like. Oh, my own Islamophobic, right. you know, things that I carried over from my communities. And, you know, I think that the Muslim community has been one of the most rewarding and rich places that we've seen like real amazing transformative work there. And we should model our communities on some of the things that they've done. Um, and so, yeah, I think that just uh, the community is starting to to get a little more woke. Man, that's good to hear, man. Um, and I gotta ask you this. And this mm-hmm. is, and I, we talked about like living abroad and stuff. Sure. And um, and 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 that's why, like, I have like this this real this weird unique experience with just immigration because I lived in countries where. Technically, I was an immigrant. I right. was living right. over there, working over there, and, you know, trying to learn the language and, you know, um, and learned a lot about just my American privilege, but also learning, like, hey, people didn't correlate with me being American because of my skin color. Right. 
And then when they found out, it was like different. And so um, I say that to say when you know when I when I when I came back home, I had like when I look at immigration, I realized it was like okay, I realized that many people that immigrate over here from just various countries really don't know a lot about the black experience, right? Right. And 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 I say that because I've talked to people from other countries that live here now, and they ask me questions because they feel comfortable, and we can have this dialogue saying, hey, why do you know? Um, why, why do black people don't want to work? Why do black people do this? So you get a lot of anti-blackness yeah. um, from lack of like, just really understanding the history and the culture of this country. Sure. Um, and this is, you know, some people can be offended by it, but I've, you know, being, being able to live abroad and understand that people just don't know. Yeah. Um, Help me be able to have these type of conversations without being offended. And right. at least hopefully try to, you know, <laughs> Uh, do some education. Hopefully, they look at it differently, and then give them the fact like, "Hey, you know, you know, like we're kind of the primary reason why people can immigrate over here that are not white." You know, we, you know, <laughs> let me just put that out there, yeah. right? And so, and and so, hopefully, hopefully, it hit home for some people. But I just, you know, I can have that conversation, and so that's why I always want to ask because they, they, when I'm in their countries or when black folks are in their countries, it's, it's, the treatment is a little different. Then when they when they come over here, here yeah, they they care and it's this this it's like two different experiences. Sure. And so I'm just curious, how is the Indian community feel about black folks, or is there any anti-blackness, especially when you're trying to multicultural organize? Sure. So I think that there uh, there's definitely anti-blackness in non-black communities all the time, always, right? Um, a good example that I'll use for India, right, is like there is skin bleaching cream, right? Mm. Like just like this cream that will make you more fair-skinned and more beautiful, and come in whatever. All complexions. That's right. Black and, this is dark or darker than me. Right. And there's <laughs> yeah. plenty of Indian people that right. are, yeah, that are very dark, and there's right. plenty of folks who are very light and fair-skinned, right? And so. Um, I think that there's definitely anti-blackness in in the community. I think that they're um, doing their best to educate themselves, especially you know the communities here in Nashville and in right. Tennessee are are doing a good job of educating themselves and and um, getting better. And I think that where some of that is happening is some of these Indian community members who are dark complexion they're dealing with some of the same issues that black communities deal with, right? Mm -hmm. Getting pulled over by the cops right. and dealing with that, like, you know, and so. Welcome. Well, yeah, I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> Welcome and, to the America. <laughs> Welcome. That's right. And so I think that that's where, you know, the community is learning to stand up for each other. Mm -hmm. And so by doing that, they're starting to realize that they have to unlearn anti-blackness in order to, truly fully stand up for one another right. um but i mean there's generations of right. anti-blackness to unlearn that's not going to happen you know overnight, overnight. For sure um but it's there you know i think it's it's interesting sometimes i i talk to some indian community members who are like you know I, I had to have this conversation they were like why are they working so much on jefferson street like they should be working more on South Nashville or, you know, in this Bellevue area and, you know, they're trying to build up this black community. And I've heard black community members say, 
why are they working so much on, you know, in South Nashville in this Plaza Mariachi and whatever? Like, why right. aren't they working? And I was like, you know, it's the same oppressors <laughs> that are taking out all of us, right? Like, they they don't care. It's the same people. It's, right. We shouldn't be fighting for the crumbs, right? right? Like, we right. should be... We should be, you know, asking for the pie. Right. Um, and so I think that, you know, one thing that I want to see happen more is I would love for black communities and immigrant communities or Indian communities to, right. you know, come together more and, and have these sort of discussions. Right. Um, you know, the Ganesh Temple, anyone who's watching this, uh, I'll let you all know. If you ever want a tour of the Ganesh Temple, I'm happy to give it to you. Yeah, I want uh, one. Let's yeah. do it. We'll yeah, do it. That sounds one. great. Sure. Um, and so happy to happy to walk y'all through. But I think like understanding each other's culture is the way that anti-blackness is is defeated without a doubt. Um, and so it's so critical. That's the and that's that's the beautiful thing about like me and you talking. Right. Right. Because it's what where else will I get this information from? Right. Right. Like, and I like talking to people. And I want people from those communities and those cultures to break it down and explain to me. One, I want to, I want to have a brave space like this one where I can ask like dumb questions, like, <laughs> yeah. right? Because like we in this, like it's unfortunate, but we in this in this society now, this you know where we have cancel culture and yeah. you kind of kind of you gotta be kind of PC about everything or. Like it's it's not a lot of brave spaces where mm -hmm. you can just ask questions and yeah they may be offensive but it comes from a a a, a good intentions like I would just, I just want to learn and grow right and right and I think um it's good to hear that the Indian community is starting to have those conversations mm -hmm. and have somebody like yourself to like to like put that good tension healthy tension out there like hey you know we all kind of we 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 battling the same thing sure. and it's happening to us too. And even just for the black community and other communities, like we don't have to be in our own black bubble either. Right. We can explore the Indian community, but just knowing that we're welcome, but knowing like, hey, like how can we build together? And like we know, like, hey, we know we're oppressed, you're oppressed, it might be two different levels, but like we can still build together because like the oppressor is the same. Right. That's the, the oppressor is the same. That's the common denominator. That's right. And and then for me, man, that's why I love doing this and, and talking to people like yourself that that just have a different perspective and outlook on communities I'm just not a part of or just are not aware of what's going on because how could I know? Right. You know, and that could that could lead to me being offensive. That can lead to me just 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 me not knowing maybe be discriminatory towards Indians, right? Just right. like unintentionally. Right. Right. And so uh just talking, man, and like I've just learned so much in this this short period of time that we've talked. Um, and just it's good to know that like it's people like yourself working like in in your community to bridge with other communities in my community and like having those like like no nah, we're gonna talk about this. We well, to, we it's funny you say this. that because I feel the same way about the black community, right? Mm -hmm. Like I I remember when there was the vice president debates right between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence and the the fly landed on Mike Pence's hair or whatever, right? And there was a tweet that said, like, that fly is Mike Pence's only black friend. And I thought that was hilarious. And I, like, retweeted it and whatever. And my friend, who is half black, half Indian, reached uh -huh. out to me. And she was like, you need to delete that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? And she's like, 
she, I asked why. And the minute I asked why I realized and I go, Oh my gosh, they're comparing black people to bugs. Right. And it immediately like hit me. But if she hadn't held me accountable, right. Yeah. I would have never thought about it. I wouldn't have not realized how it was offensive in any way, shape or form. Right. But she held me accountable in a way that was not like, Judgmental. Judgmental, anything. Yeah. And I think that is what's so critical is that I think our, I think that we need brave spaces where folks can talk about this stuff, Mm -hmm. but our accountability pieces are sometimes a little bit too harsh. Like we talk, the same people who talk about restorative justice sometimes don't give an opportunity for restorative (laughs) justice when they're holding folks accountable. And so I like have started thinking about like really not just saying the words restorative justice, right. but practicing it. Because yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us say it and don't right. practice it, including myself. And yeah. so that's and, and, really critical. Yeah, man. And like that exposure, right? And like having like a diversity of like community to like to, to hold you accountable. And right. And also having a diversity of community where you can feel comfortable and asking like why. Right. 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 <laughs> right. And like getting it broken down so you can have a better understanding right. is what we all need. And I had a uh, guest on here, Jeanette. She actually has like a um, like a, a a white supremacy accountability partner mm. where like 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 uh, where they kind of like check each other and like hold each other accountable about like like this their whiteness right. and and making sure that they can be the best allies and to community as possible for people of color and so I thought that was really dope and like that they're being intentional about that. Well, it's funny that you're saying that. So my wife is white. Okay comes from a traditionally conservative household, right? And my mother-in-law, who, um, you know, if you if you talk to my mother-in-law first time, you would not expect her to be like an ally in any way, shape, or form. She's got right. Southern accent, her family's from Colombia, you know, <laughs> so like, you're like, you know, I even remember when we, and I went to their house for the first time, I was like, I don't know if this is gonna work. <laughs> And first off, my mother-in-law, I think, has really thought about these conversations more than most white folks to the point where she has found a, um, you know, she's, she's really into her church right. um, and, and she's found a, another church leader um, who is black and she's just been like, I just need to sit down and listen to you. Right. And they talk all the time. And I think that my mother-in-law, who comes from a conservative Christian household, has taught me a lot about what she's heard from these churches. And like, I've become a better person mm-hmm. because of that. Also, my mother-in-law and I are best friends because she got me an air fryer. And I have never <laughs> related more to a middle-aged white woman in my life look, since I got that air fryer. Look, man, some, it's something magical about them air fryers. I'm man, telling I'm, you. I'm still trying to figure out how is it frying food. It's not only the food. It's bringing people together, yeah, too. Right. Like, it's she, like <laughs> without the oil. It's like, it just, I, like I, I literally, because I was trying to figure this out. When I got one, I was like, "Man, what's the technology behind mm-hmm. this? Like, who who engineered this? Yeah. This is this is too good to be true." Listen, man, I knew I knew that I was like a South Asian from Tennessee <laughs> when I air fried some samosas, <laughs> and then the next time around, I came back and it started air frying some Oreos, and I was like, "Oh no!" Like, I am I am South oh, South Asian. Yeah, oh, but that's hilarious, man. 
Look, man, I want to, um, before we end, man, I want to get into, like, um, like just what is happening now. What, sure. is, what are some things going on now in the Indian community, the immigrant community, um, that that people just be aware of, but just be aware of, or just listeners and viewers just be aware of what's happening and, um, you know, how are people building and how how we how can people just combat this white supremacy and that we all affected by. Sure. Different so I'm gonna start with the Indian community on like ways to get involved. First off, is that highly recommend that folks. Um, you know, do do a tour of the Ganesh Temple. All you got to do is just kind of walk in, say you want a tour, and somebody there will give you a tour. They'll walk you through, um, you know, the the deities and the gods and stuff that are there. Is that in Murphy's? It's in Bellevue. 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 It's in Bellevue. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so highly recommend that. Um, also, people think that all Indians are Hindu. Not true. Um, there's a Sikh temple as well, uh, and so highly recommend that you that folks reach out to the Sikh temple and just try and learn more there. Um, or, you know, folks can reach out to me. I'm happy to have this conversation with anyone and everyone. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are kind of what I would do with the Indian community. The other thing I would say is that the India Association of Nashville has some really cool events that I would recommend you go to if you live in Middle Tennessee, um, as well as the Juggernaut Society of America. They have a holiday at the temple called Ratha Jatra. It's a chariot festival where three of the gods basically uh, go go to their aunt's house. That's how it goes. Uh, but they have built this whole chariot that they pull around the temple. Oh, wow. It's a really, it's it's meant to, you know, for, for outsider folks to come and learn about the, um, to learn, to learn about the temple and, and those gods and things like that. So uh, it's in, it's in July. Highly recommend that folks go to that. Um, for immigrant community members, um, I think that, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to tout Turk cause you know, it's where I'm working. Um, but I would highly recommend that folks check out, um, our, our international, um, food events. So N-A-S-H, Nash. Um, but we do a lot of food events where we bring, um, immigrant refugee business owners to where you can try out folks' food, learn their stories, yeah. things like that. I mean, who doesn't like food, you right, know? Next so, time I bring me some, some traditional Indian yeah, food. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll air fry it and bring <laughs> yeah. it over, you know? I'll just plug in the air fryer here right, while yeah, we're yeah, here. Yeah, we can uh, plug it right up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I also think the food is like such a game changer. So if you've never had Indian food before, you know, hit up. I'm going to give a shout out to my boys at Taj Indian Restaurant down by Plaza Mariachi. They catered my wedding. That's how much I like them. Um, <laughs> And, and go shopping at Patel Brothers um, as well. Like, just check out the mm -hmm. groceries there. Just yeah. see what's there. Talk to employees and just try some naan or something. Yeah. Give it a shot. Um, it's just so that you can, you can kind of get a taste of that. Um, and so I think those are really critical. Uh, the international food events are really cool. We do a night market every year where 17 or 18 business owners come in, give out samples of food, and um, you get to kind of see all these different restaurants you know in a small area right. from nolensville to antioch um so definitely recommend um checking checking that out um and then i think the last piece that i would say is that um i think the immigrant community is really going to come under attack in 2022 just uh to be real uh you know i think that a lot of these state legislators have learned that uh, the way to win is to attack immigrants. They saw Trump do it in the 2016 elections. Right. Um, and they're continuing to follow that formula. 
And so there is going to be opportunity for non-immigrant community members to stand up for immigrant community members by calling your legislator, by taking action. So really think it's critical um, for folks to take action. I think that people of color, I mean, this is 2022 is going to be the year where our state legislature is going to want to try and, um, you know, to, to correct Biden being elected. Right. And so just really flagging that for folks. And I want I want to say this too. I want and I want to bring you back to talk more about this. Sure. Um, sp- specifically around the Indian community, I want to talk more about um, like judges mm-hmm. and like how the criminal I wouldn't say criminal justice system anymore, but the criminal legal system. Because um, I don't know if it, I don't know if you get justice from my criminal quote unquote justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, some people call it the criminal punishment system. Sure. But I want I want to talk more about that and and see how the Indian community is affected by that because 2022 General Sessions judges attorney up um, for election uh, Glenn Fun all every, all the seats up everybody's up for election everybody up for election right. so I would love to bring you back in next year to talk about how that process is going yep and also um, even with council in 2023 yep uh, those seats are up as well yep. and talking about you know um, the Indian community and. And just uh, what is the political agenda right. for the Indian community right. um, and things like that. So, but man, like, I mean, this was, I, I, I hope people that are listening and watching enjoy this, this as much as I did. Cause we really, I, I really, can, I really can go for another hour because <laughs> no. when you just don't know, but you want to explore and just dive in deep, man. And you, you gave us so much good information today, man. And, uh, I hope people take away from it. And I hope people learn a lot more about the Indian community and, and be intentional about, reaching back in and i hope for the indian community that was listening i hope you know um that like you kind of spark some fires for them that maybe are not woke yet yeah never really you know view their 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 situation in the community the same as like black folks or latinx folks or other immigrants right or maybe feel like they're not even affected by white supremacy or racism at all right um, I hope you woke some of them people up too. I hope so. I mean, look, if you're listening to this and you're an immigrant community member and you want to make a difference, look, contact Jerome and come get on this. Yeah, like hey, this yeah. is the way to do it. No, so, no, for real. Yeah. And, and if you disagree with anything, like, yeah, this, come, come on, on come I'm on. Uh, I happy love. to sit yeah. with you on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah love no, the chat. No. And I, I, and this, this is going to be closed for real. I had seen something. It was, um, I think it was the, Yesterday, the day before, it was like Immigration Day. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. I, I don't, and I don't want to get this wrong, so I'm gonna look it up right quick. Sure, <laughs> I'm gonna look it up right quick. I had seen it, um, and I never thought of it. Uh, ah, man, where did I see it? I want to find it. Well, while you're thinking of that, I will also say here's the other thing that I find very interesting all the time. People, people always forget since we're in the spirit of Christmas. Um, People forget Jesus was an immigrant too. Like don't <laughs> just don't forget that um, this this uh, this this holiday season. So that's what immigration. Yeah, it was National Immigration Day was Im, 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 International Migrants Day was December eighteenth mm. today. So yeah, it was two days ago. Two days ago. But I seen something that that was crazy, and I can't find what I seen. But it was like. Like, um, we're talking about just like the anti-blackness in, in immigrants as yeah. far as like from a system standpoint, how the, uh, the most immigrants that are like deported are black. Yeah. And I, I and that never occurred to me. Like I never, I never thought about that. Like, Oh, you know, like, wow. Yeah. I mean, we have 
Haitian community members here right. that um, have stories that right. they can share from the border and how they got here. We right. have um, so many Sudanese community members, Somali yeah. community members that have the continent story. Africa in general, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. And so I never, I never, it never crossed my mind. I think that, and that, I think just from my own, like just, just biases. I, when I thought about immigrants, I, I primarily thought about like the Latinx, Latinx community. Oh yeah. I think that's a very real thing that people don't realize that, you know, there's plenty of Indian undocumented community members, right. Asian undocumented community members, you know, people think DACA and they think of these like, you know, and also the media does this, right? right? They put right. these, you know, Latinx kids yeah. on TV, whatever. There's so many Korean DACA recipients in this, in this state. And that, that, and that, but that led me to like, damn, I never, like, I, like in, in just propaganda and I just, just fed into it, just what I see. And I was right. like, dang, it's so many other like immigrants that are not Latinx. Right. And like they completely just go like get neglected like as far as like their this their oppression and what they're going through as far as in the immigration system. Yeah, I mean I think that I talk about this a lot. First off, like one of the biggest mistakes that I think that um, folks can make is that like you know it's not Latin. It's to be clear, it's not Latinx and non-Latinx, right? right. Everyone's immigrants, right? right We're all right. together in this, but. I do think that Latinx community members have had their sort of coming out of the shadows moment, right? Mm -hmm. This undocumented, unafraid movement, which we haven't seen in other communities, right? Mm -hmm. Indian community does not have that, right? Mm -hmm. Again, going back to trying to be the model minority, trying not to rock the boat. Right. If you go out and say undocumented, unafraid, and start protesting in front of ICE offices, like right. that is not the right. same um, coping mechanism that right. you know communities have done for generations. I think the other thing that I will add really quickly is that, you know, my dad has dealt with racism in Lewisburg and in Franklin as well. And when I talk to him about it, you know, I think that my dad views it as like this foreigner tax. It's like, yeah, I came to this country. I have a better life. Um, and so racism is just a part of it. I have to deal with it mm. to be here. Right. But when someone's racist toward me, yo, I was born here. Like, this is my house. <laughs> right. You're going to come into my home and right. treat me like that? Right. Oh, hell no, right? Like, there's a huge difference in the mindset yeah. and the shift. Even today, my, my parents have been in this country for 30, 35 years, and there are still times where my mom will be like, well, you know, we can always go back to India. And I'm like, you won't survive in <laughs> India. Like, it is a different world right. compared to what it is now. You think you can deal with 100-degree temperatures right. and things like that over different the summer? Different comfortabilities. Different, different yeah. Like, you know, different structure we just, just got xfinity like you think you're gonna <laughs> deal with you know with that when we get back to india we can barely get the wi-fi up you're gonna try and do that you know so um oh, so man, i'm just funny. saying that like that's hilarious i know i know we've gotten used to amazon prime these other things right which india is like god but it's just not the same thing like even now my parents are still like for them that's home right for me, this is home, right. right? I'm not, I'm, I love India. I think right. that there's a part of it that is so special to me, Right. but I was born here. Right. Like my child was here. <laughs> this right. is, this is my house, right? Like, right. And this right. is the, this is one more thing I'll say, I think is really critical. So many people have told me in my life, like, if you don't like it, get out of this country, right? Like mm -hmm. get out of here. You don't belong here. Go move to a different state. I've even had relatives say, like, you know, Tennessee's hard for you to live in. Like, maybe you should go to a different state, right? 
And I tell people all the time, if I'm living in my house and there's a leak in my roof, mm-hmm. I'm not going to call my realtor and say, hey, put it up for sale. Right. I'm going to fix the leak. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. this is my house. Right. I'm not going to just throw away all those childhood memories because right. there's a leak. Right. And I think sometimes people think that, you know, a leak in the roof is right. meaning that there's a flood coming. Right. And I don't believe that. I truly believe that, you know, right. we should be fixing the holes and fixing the leaks, but this is our, our house, you know? And, 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 and if you're not indigenous to this land, right. Um, or in, or brought here by slavery, right. right. Every, you're an immigrant. Right. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so, and so when, you, when, 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 especially when, when you, when you hear people say, go back to your country, well, like maybe I maybe well, how about you go back to yours too? Yeah, I know. Pretty much. Like, I you know, know. um <laughs> but so yeah, no, that's 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 I like that analogy. I'm gonna steal that one. Mm, yeah, absolutely. But yep. no, uh man, hey. It's been a pleasure. I mean, no, no, the pleasure's been all mine. I appreciate it. I can't wait to have you back to talk more. Yeah. And uh I hope people got a great introduction to who you are and um what you do yeah. for our national community and just our immigrant communities. Um and yeah, man, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Jerome. Thanks so much, I man. I know, man. Have a good one, man. All right, you too.